Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're sitting here, and uh, this has become a common thing, you know, since I've been on the beat, since we do this podcast, when we start off 0-2, right? The Giants are 0-2. It's like, we feel comfortable in this, in this area, right? This is, this has become the norm for this team right now. Fifth time in six years. And the only time they weren't 0-2 was when Ben McAdoo was the head coach in his first year. The Giants went 11-5 and and made the playoffs. So, 0-2, unfortunately, if you're a Giant fan, has an all-too-familiar feeling right now. And what we saw on Sunday night, unfortunately, also way too familiar and just an abomination offensively. It was hard to watch the Giants offensively in that game. So we're going to go over the good-bad here with the Giants team right now. And you really have to start with the bad because the game, yes, they end up losing by a touchdown. It was 20-13, to 13, the final score. It wasn't even that close. The Giants end up with 255 total yards. And let's be honest, that was an inflated number by scrub time at the end. They got more than half those yards in the final, what, eight minutes or so when they were down 20-3 to three at one point. So it was not pretty. It was bad. And so we have to start with the bad because that offense, which was the major problem here, I mean, they let up 298 total yards to the Cowboys. Yes, one big play they allowed earlier. Janaris Jenkins got beat. Curtis Riley took a bad angle. But overall, the defense has been okay early in this year. They haven't played great offenses. I get it. But the defense has been okay. The offense has been the problem. And you have to start, in my opinion, from the top. Okay? The most expensive player on the team is the quarterback. Everyone knows where I stand on um, on the state of the Giants organization as a whole and what they should have done this offseason. So we're not going to sit here and play devil's advocate now at 0-2 and say they should have drafted this guy, that guy, da-da-da-da. But what we can say right now is Eli Manning's their quarterback and he's not getting protected. The protection's bad. Six sacks in that game, uh, under constant pressure. But he's also not making plays. And the problem for me is when it's your most, your most, your high, highest paid player, when he's getting paid more than everyone else, he's supposed to be your, one of your stars, and he's not making any plays, it's problematic. He's got to make plays. You can't just check down all the time. You have to stand in there and take a big hit and zip a throw into a tight window once in a while. We're seeing none of that. And it's even more important. When the team is struggling, when the line is bad, when it, when there, the opportunities are only few and far between, you need him to make some of those, and we're not seeing it. I mean, the way they were checking down the other day was just a joke. I mean, we all know it. We saw it with our own eyes. Uh, it was he, he was 10 for 11 at one point, but it, it was like for 75 yards, so, something along those lines. I mean, it was just the second – he goes back and saw somebody coming anywhere near him, dump the ball real quick. I mean, there's times you got to stand in there and make a tight throw. So that was not, that is becoming problematic because this isn't the first game. It wasn't just one game. Now it's two games this year. It was all last year. 
It's stretching now. It was even the year before. They went 11-5. and five. He did not play particularly well. We're now stretching over a multi-year span of subpar quarterback play. And that is not a good thing. Like he has to play better. He has to make more plays. Now, let's get on to the next bad, the offensive line, because that's part of the equation here, right? Eli can't move. He's not mobile. We know this. The offensive line, though, has really just been bad over the first two games. Like worse than we could have expected. Missed assignments, uh, even like the help from the the extension of the offensive line. The tight ends. Scott Simonson came on the field in the opener and didn't have a good place. Chad Wheeler, the sixth offensive lineman, came and had a bad play in the opener. In this game, it was uh, Shane Smith, the fullback, some terrible snaps. I mean, Shane Smith, you could charge him with two sacks in that game. From your fullback. You need better. Your fullback is on the roster because he's supposed to help with his, as a blocker. And just up and down that line. I mean, you know who, you know who actually did play okay? Eric Flowers. He was okay. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. He wasn't the worst offensive lineman on the field. Now, Nate, even guys like Nate Solder, he needs to play better. Will Hernandez needs to play better. There was a mental breakdown that cost him a sack. Patrick Omame and Eric Flowers, they didn't pass off, um, I think it was a, a TE or, or some kind of Stunt that they did, the, the Cowboys, a uh, tackle and stunt, or I, I'm not sure it was which way, who, who went, who went first, but, uh, they basically were playing games with the Giants offensive line. Running stunts, twists, uh, a lot of slot corner blitzes, and the Giants just weren't picking it up well. These are as much mental mistakes as they are physical mistakes, and that's problematic. Like, we need this, they need this line to be at least average. I mean, get close to average. They weren't the other day. And then when you combine it with Eli, it creates an atmosphere where they can't run offense. And it makes Odell Beckham, who's one of the best players in the league, basically a non-factor for three and a half quarters of the game. What do you have, two catches for 20 yards up until like the the, the last drive or two? That's not going to win anyone a game. And uh, Saquon Barkley? Great player, by the way, making everybody miss. We'll get to that in a minute. That'll be that'll be some of the positive. But you, you're not going to survive throwing 16 passes to your running back, kept making 14 receptions for 80 yards. That's 5.7 yards per carry. That's the quarterback seeing ghosts at times or, or seeing real pass rushers and just dumping it real quick, and he has no chance to do anything. And he makes the first guy miss every time pretty much. And he still only has 80 yards. So that needs to improve. And then the Giants, another on the, the bad. They lost John Jalapio, their starting center. Uh, he was settling in fairly nicely. He was one, the one guy who I thought was doing okay. You weren't hearing much from him. You weren't seeing him, uh, get beat really bad on any, uh, individual pass rushes. Uh, I was kind of neutral on the push he was getting, but it, so far, like in his first two starts at center, it, it, it was, it wasn't bad. He probably, you can make an argument, a good argument. He was their best lineman in the first two games until somebody landed on the back of his leg, broke his leg, ankle, similar to Odell injury. He's having surgery, and he's out for the year. So now the problem with that is now they have to bring in a new center. It's going to be John Greco first up. Then they have Spencer Pulley, who they claim from the Chargers, and they have Evan Brown, who they kept as an undrafted rookie. Right? So John Greco is going to get the first crack. Here's the problem. Jalapio took every snap this summer with the first team. Now you're putting another guy in, he, and 
he has to do make the calls at the at the line of scrimmage. So they have to learn how to work with him. That's the last thing this offense needed right now is a new guy to help them sit there and make and do the signals and everything. So uh, just a bad performance all the way around from the offensive line, the uh, quarterback, the coach, uh, the offense just did not look explosive. There weren't as many receivers running open as there were in the Jacksonville game. So that was definitely a step back. And Pat Shermer, some of his decisions were curious. Punting from the 50 when it's fourth and inches and then going for it from your own 35-ish, five minutes or seven minutes later, whatever it was, very strange. Very strange decision-making process that has me wondering going forward, how is he making decisions? How much is he using data? How much is he... Uh, going by feel. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. Nothing I would raise a serious red flag for at this point, but something that definitely makes me a little curious to see how that goes. And on the defensive side of the ball, the one bad I have is that Janaris Jenkins is kind of off to a little rough start here. He got beat bad on that touchdown, right? Uh, Tavon Austin beat him bad off the line of scrimmage. He said he slipped, but, you know, Austin, who has a lot, has really good speed. He was able to make a little quick move at the line of scrimmage and shake Janaris Jenkins. And Janaris kind of whiffed. He was trying to check him at the line of scrimmage, and it didn't happen. Ended up turning into a uh, 64-yard touchdown, put the Giants into a big hole. He's given up some big plays early this season. It was not Two years ago, when his first season with the Giants was a 2016, he was great. He was great. Last year, not so great. And this season, uh, already two, play, two big plays he's given up, and uh, this isn't the same player you saw in 2016 right now. Uh, so, But uh, some positives. The defense. Okay, they're they've held up all right. They're not great passing attacks, but they've held up all right. So the defense has been all right, even though they played without Olivier Vernon. They don't have a great pass rush. James Betcher's done a pretty good job scheming. They stopped the run to a degree enough uh, to you know keep Ezekiel Elliott under a hundred yards, and then Leonard Fournette and uh, T.J. Yeldon in the opener combined less than a hundred yards. So not bad on that end. You got to be fairly optimistic for what you've seen from the defense. It's not a great defense. But it's better defense than it was last year, that's for sure. And Aldrich Rosas, I want to throw this in. Uh, pretty good so far. You have to like what you see. He made all his field goals so far. Uh, granted, hasn't been anything crazy. His kickoffs have been great, though. He's booming them all out of the end zone pretty much. He made a 38-yarder the other night. So, But still, this is a guy who was missing everything last year, right? So far this year, the early returns are positive. So that's where we're at right now. We're, we're reaching so far for positives and an 0-2 start for the fifth time in six years, then we're talking about the kicker. Enough of that, though. Let's get to the next segment with our guest for today. You'll like this one. On to the next one. All right, we're going to bring in our guest here, Ross Tucker. I mean, this guy has more jobs than uh, I do teeth. But uh, he's mostly known for, or at least partly known for, the Ross Tucker football podcast which i thoroughly enjoy and i'm a listener but he also does a little bit of everything he does games he does sideline he does uh serious and the athletic you name it this this guy basically has his hands on it former nfl offensive lineman welcome ross appreciate you coming by jordan thanks for having me absolutely anytime man you know that yeah well listen listen here's here's why i wanted your perspective right you sit down sunday night you're you know a national guy who keeps his eye on all 32 teams, you sit down and start watching the Giants. What are you thinking, and what do you see? 
I'm thinking I can't wait to see Eli with these weapons and see the improved Giants offensive line. (laughs) And then I'm watching them get absolutely handled in every way. And I'm stunned that it feels like there was no ability to adjust to simple blitz packages that the Cowboys were bringing. I mean, I, I, you know, I can remember when I played Jordan, you know, every week, you know, a team would have a new blitz, right? Right. And something they hadn't shown before. So then you come off the field and the coach says, okay, here's what they're doing. They're bringing four week. It's the free safety in the will. We're going to redeclare that, that, that will as the Mike linebacker, pick him up back. You take the free safety. Then you go out there in the next series. They try it again. You block it up. Right. I have no idea what the Giants were doing. And I was not a great player, right? So I don't really get that up in arms about guys that, you know, miss blocks or get beat one-on-one because it's hard. But mental errors, mental mistakes drive me crazy. And it was like the Giants were taking turns. I mean, if it wasn't Flowers, it was Hernandez or it was Omame. I mean, it's like they don't do blitz, period. And so that stood out to me. Eli kind of having a deer in the headlights look and demeanor stood out to me. I mean, that's one of the things that you see sometimes when quarterbacks get older is they're not as quick to get rid of the ball. And maybe mm-hmm. rightfully so because of how, how bad the protection was. And sometimes it was running back. Sometimes I think it might have even been wide receivers not breaking their route off you know, hot. Usually when it's that bad, it's a combination of a bunch of things. But they had no answer to the Cowboys' very simple blitzes. And you know, I, I used to think Eli's defining characteristic was his ability to avoid sacks, avoid hits, get the ball out of his hands quickly, and not take those type of shots. Yeah, well, there was a, a breaking point probably about a year or two, two years ago at this point. I think it was they, they played the Vikings on a Monday night. And he was basically just spiking the ball into the ground. And since then, it's it's looked like a different quarterback, like a, not wanting to stand in there, take that big hit, and just like sort of feeling the pressure, right? So, where what what do you see from Eli right now? Like what 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 I'm, I'm trying to gauge like what. The, People are around here like, look, this is like the third straight year this offense can't do anything right. At some point, a third, you know, he's on his third head coach in four years now and they're having a lack of success. At some point, it's going to fall on the quarterback, right? That's sort of how this business works. The quarterback gets the praise, he gets the girls, and he also gets the blame for everything, right? So it's starting to come around. People are starting to be critical of Eli and saying, I, I don't think it's going to happen here. I mean, he, he's done especially playing with an offensive line that can't protect them. Like, where do you stand on that at this point? Yeah, I mean, at this point, Jordan, it's just kind of sad. You know, I know he's built up a lot of equity with the fan base, and rightfully so. Nobody will ever be able to take away those two Super Bowl runs and victories over the Patriots away from him. But he looks like a shell of his former self. I mean, he, he doesn't look confident out there. Um, it looks like he's taking shots, and it looks like he's, I mean, it's like it, like I said earlier, it's like a deer in the headlights. And what's scary about it is they took Saquon Barkley instead of a quarterback like Sam Darnold, I think in large part because I think they thought they could go on a Super Bowl run the next couple of years. They're not even close. I mean, I, it's hard to imagine them even making the playoffs, let alone a super, in the NFC, 
they're not even in the stratosphere of a Super Bowl run. And so if they're not able to get a good quarterback after Eli, I mean, the Giants fans are going to be hearing about the Darnold thing forever. I mean, for 15 years, because I don't care that the Jets lost. You know, I watched that game. Darnold's good. I mean, he, he's not perfect yet, but he's good. He's a young quarterback. Again, he's he has potential to be really good. And it's if if he is, and if he turns into that franchise quarterback, yeah, it's going to be something that hangs over the Giants' heads for sure. I saw you tweet though. Also, I mean, like you mentioned their roster not being good enough. That you were kind of taken aback. You looked at their defense, right? And you're like, wow, some of these guys. I think you said they're not even NFL starters. Well, I thought it was interesting. You know, when they're doing the starting lineup. I'm looking at him, and I already knew it, but like when you actually hear these guys, you're like, well, that guy's a backup. That guy's a backup. That guy should be a backup. Now, in fairness, you know, one of those guys is Eli Apple, who's done some good things, right? So right. Uh, Eli did some good things in that game. So some of those guys, you know, may have just stepped up. But what happened a lot of times, like Connor Barwin's not really a starter anymore at this stage. I, I don't know that Kareem Martin's always a starter. What happens, though, is when a guy like Betcher comes in, and he has his own scheme, he's going to have guys that fit his scheme, even though other teams have deemed them no longer worthy of starting in the NFL. Right. They might be the best that Betcher can find that, that can run the defense he wants to run. And that's what that's what's out to me. Is they got a bunch of guys starting that would not be starting for any other team right now. Well, they've held their own, fortunately for them. Betcher's done enough with that unit the first two games. that They've actually put them in positions where they could win games. It's been the offense that's let them down. Now, you look at the offense, you look at the offensive line, you talked about Eli, you talked about the just the mental part of it for the offensive line. When you're in that spot, how do they get it fixed? Like, How can this unit move forward and get better? Like, How do you fix all those mental breakdowns on the offensive line and your quarterback from not seeing the, and feeling pressure constantly? So a couple things. Number one is you can go to more six and seven man protections where you keep the the tight end in, so you have that totally locked up, which is one way to do it. You can also just do more three step stuff where you're getting the ball out of Eli's hands quickly. A lot of slants, a lot of bubble screens to Odell, stuff like that. Or you can, I don't know, block the right guy, pick up the <laughs> blitz. I mean, it's it was maddening. The thing that was really Really crazy is on some of them, Jordan. I couldn't even tell who was wrong. Like a lot of times, you're like, "Oh, that was the right tackle. He was supposed to kick out there. Oh, that was the back. He didn't track the guy." Some of them, I, I'm not even sure who messed up on a couple of them, which is really scary because that means the guy was so clueless about who he's supposed to block. He didn't even try. Like he wasn't even late. He just didn't even get there ever. I know. I mean, usually people say I'm, I'm uh, pessimistic, right? But in this case, I'm almost optimistic. Like, like people are like, well, how can we see this team doing better? And I'm thinking to myself, I can't see the offensive line doing much worse than they've done in the first two weeks. Like, they, they almost by default have to get slightly better. And am, am I foolish by thinking that? Like, am I fooling myself into thinking that they're going to be able to sustain some offense at some point? Well, they're not going to get worse, right? I mean, you're, you're right. They're not going to get worse. They're in a new offense. They should get better. I, I even gave the benefit that after, after week one and was like, okay, well, the Jags have an awesome D line, right? right. Yeah. That's not really do. the case with the Cowboys. I mean, that, that's not really the case with the Cowboys. And like I said, I, I can even live like, if it was just like the, like Omame and Hernandez getting smoked by a guy like Fletcher Cox, right? Right. I could live with that. 
where you'd be like, all right, they're just outmanned. What I cannot tolerate is that they did not look prepared to play in that game. They didn't know what they looked like, what their, that they knew what their, their pickup rules were, their blitz pickup. And now they lost a guy who was playing pretty decent in their center. So I, I guess I take back everything I just said, Jordan. Jalapio, <laughs> um, or however you say his last name, now that he's gone, they actually could get worse. Yeah, that is, I, I said, you know, forget what level he's playing at. The fact that now they have to have a new guy come in, and he's going to want to have to be give signals and make the calls. It's like, that's the last thing this line needed, right? I mean, their lack of continuity is a problem in the first place, and now this sort of adds to that. So, yeah, it, it's... It's not a, an overly encouraging situation, and the schedule is not exactly forgiving as they move forward here. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough run. Are we going to are we going to hear you on any uh, Giants calls this year? I mean, is that what do you think? Is that a possibility? Do you have a full schedule? How does that work? I don't think so because this year Westwood One is not doing Sunday afternoon games. So what I'm doing is a lot of sidelines on Monday nights. I'll be doing like a Thanksgiving game, a London game for them. But they're not doing a Sunday one or a four. So Sunday afternoons, I'm actually doing Eagles pregame this year because I'm from outside of Philadelphia, which is kind of different and fun in the stadium for the home games or whatever. So actually, you know what? I'll be there when the Giants play the Eagles. I won't be calling the game, but I'll be there. So I'll get a chance to say hello. All right. That'll be a Thursday night coming up in a few weeks here. So we look forward to it, Ross. Appreciate your time. Uh, always, always great insight. And make sure you listen to the Ross uh, Tucker football podcast and everything else that Ross does. I hope it gets better for you, Jordan. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. On to the next one. All right, let's move on to my favorite segment of the show. This is where I get to answer your deepest, darkest questions about pretty much anything. It could be fun. It could be serious. It could be football-related. It could be life-related. It could be anything. And that's why I love Giants After Dark. All right, let's get going. Will Shepard, 2001S. Is the Giants secondary fixable with some adjustments, or will it struggle all year? Well... I don't know. I will actually say I'm not so sure that they're struggling so bad right now. I mean, they did okay in the first two games. Uh, it's not like either the the Jaguars or the Cowboys really threw the ball much on them. They hit that one big play, and then what? They threw for like 100 yards the rest of the game? That's not like the Cowboys were throwing the ball over the field against them. Uh, Eli Apple actually has been encouraging. He has a groin strain now, so we'll see how that goes moving forward. We're taping this on a Tuesday, so he's got some time before the game. But uh, I don't think the secondary's been so bad. Uh, I think the first real test for the secondary, this will be a little better test this week against the Texans. But the real test will come week four when they play the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees. So I think we'll find out what kind of secondary they'll have when we get to that game. And right now, I see the secondary. Look, I see what you're saying of why you're worried about it, but I think there's going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be a great secondary, but it's also it's not a. Ter- I don't think it's a terrible secondary. So I don't. I don't think that's uh, a major major problem. Okay, so that, that's where I stand on that. We'll go to next question. Question number two at Greeny three one six. He says. Giants cap situation next year if they keep Collins. Can they really afford to keep Eli playing the way he is? Well, the answer to that is is definitely no. I mean, it's foolish to think that 
the Giants should keep Eli Manning if he's not playing at a high level at 20 plus million dollars. Now, the problem also is that where's the contingency plan at this point, right? There doesn't seem to be any, but to keep him at 20 plus million dollars against the salary cap at the level he's playing recently, no, it does, it does not make any sense. Um, Hefty Lefty XL2 asks, how are you actually friends with Pat Leonard? As he gives Pat's uh, Twitter handle, which is Pat P. Leonard NYDN. And what does that say about your character? Yeah, fair point. Uh, yeah, I, you know, nobody ever said I was this really high character guy, though. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, not really on that part. Uh, I'm not. I always, I always tell people all the time, is I'm not. I'm not a good person. Like I never claim to be this great person. Uh, I'm loyal to people I'm friendly with and people I'm close with, but I'm not this great person who smiles and you know, does no wrong. There's no way, shape, or form that that is the case. So uh, maybe that's why. I am friendly with Pat Leonard, but I enjoy his company. He's someone that we're friends with. We spend a lot of time together in that room. We're around the same age. Uh, we both have young kids. Uh, so there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's stuff in common between us. So that's why I'm friends with Pat Leonard. And uh, I guess, uh, you don't, you don't like that. Uh, Pat, I understand in, is, uh, not a favorite among Giants fans. And yes, uh, I understand the reasons. And, uh, but I don't, not gonna, I don't comment professionally about anyone else so i'm not even going to go into that whether in a defense or, or or against some of the things that you guys don't like him for so uh at mother 3ks do you think the giants will win any games this year so i'm going to go out on a limb and say yes i do believe the giants are going to win games and i i don't know exactly who asked this other question but they said how many games do i think they would win at this point uh, i started the season thinking they were going to be eight and eight I mean, that's the absolute, absolute ceiling right now in my mind would be eight and eight. So I don't think that I don't, I, I, w- I would actually downgrade my pick now to probably seven wins. Cause I mean, look, I didn't expect them to win both those opening games. So they won. I, I probably thought maybe they would split, uh, the opening game because I did pick them to beat the Cowboys in this one. So I will say that. So, uh, seven is the right number right now. Maybe maybe leaning a little towards six because some of the things I've seen is uh, are, are kind of uh, disappointing to say the least. So um, let's answer this question from at Peter Braunwart. He says, "Why are you such a tool?" Uh, okay, Peter, I appreciate you following me and asking me this question. Uh, I'm just being myself, and you think I'm a tool. That's fine. You don't like what I say or do. But uh, for some reason, yet, you're still following me, which I don't really get. Uh, but I'm just going to be myself, and uh, I'm a tool, I guess. So, I mean, you know what? You know what the funny part is? You kind of agree with my wife, because my wife always tells me, she's always sitting there telling me, like, you're such a loser. What are you doing? And, you know, I, I post these Instagram stuff on Instagram and stories and stuff, and she's like, you're such a loser. You sound like a loser. So obviously Peter agrees with my wife on this one and uh, thinks I'm a loser slash a tool. So, uh, but thanks for the question, Peter. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move forward with that moving forward. So next question at Jonathan Burke at Darth Berkey asks, is this on John Mara's refusal to push significant change? So basically saying does John Mara uh, deserve credit because they didn't change enough. I think that ownership has to absorb plenty of blame 
for what is going on with this organization and this team right now. Uh, ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese, for all their faults, set it up on a platter for them, right, to start the rebuild, to move forward. That We, we realized last year that that 2016 season was not indicative of where this team really is overall, talent-wise, uh, in the NFC in general, they went 11 and 5. They hit a nice, easy schedule. Their defense was well. But last year, we saw they were a total disaster. They got beat up. So they probably weren't as good as the record was in 2016. But I think that ownership still believed that it was a team that could be of that caliber and that everything kind of just went wrong last year. And I think it was a flawed, flawed approach. And so they didn't make the change. It's hard to make change. The hardest thing in sports is to move on from the legendary player, right? And most times, teams do it too late. I mean, you there's a, a thousand, thousand examples. Uh, even the New York Yankees. I mean, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. I'm a big Derek Jeter guy. I loved everything that Derek Jeter stood for. They kept Derek Jeter too long. It was over two years beforehand, and the, the Yankees, they struggled those last couple of years. It was time to move on from Derek Jeter earlier. They didn't. It was time to move from Eli, move on from Eli Manning this year. It was set up perfectly. Everything was there. New coach, new GM, uh, number two pick, 37 years old. This was the time, but it's hard to do that. And the decision ultimately, yes, they hired a new general manager, but it falls on ownership and for a decision this big. And yes, I, I think that. The ownership group, and it's not just John Mara. It's John Mara, Steve Tisch, uh, Chris Mara. They're all involved in this. And I think that some of the blame for the rut that this organization is stuck in, and honestly, they're not looking like an organization that's going to be significantly improved in regards to being a Super Bowl contender anytime in the next couple of years. So it's going to be about a seven, eight-year stretch minimum where this organization just hasn't been that good and has to fall some of that blame on ownership. I mean, they're on their third coach already, what, in the last four or five years? So, uh, yes, this, that does fall on ownership. So the last question will be from T. Ward, 47, who emailed me this morning. And it's he, he gave her some really long question, but I want to get it in. Because if you do email me, if you reach out to me and go out of your way, I want to make sure I try and answer your question. Uh, so he says, I'll actually read the whole thing. So we saw a mobile QB last night behind a crappy O-line and still looked like garbage. Eli should get blamed for not setting in to it, stepping into it when he does have protection. Veteran like him should not be shell-shocked even if only two of tw- ten dropbacks he has some protection. That being said, this is ridiculous. Barkley has to do spin moves three yards behind the line of scrimmage in order to just get positive yards, whether he's been handed the ball or thrown in. What has been done with the offensive line? Why do they look so bad on running and passing? And where is the offensive guru, Shermer? He's being out-schemed left and right. And out coach guys getting beat on every down on the O-line. And not physically either. And yes, some of the blame does go on Pat Shermer. They did not do a good job the other day picking up blitzes. Ross Tucker addressed that. So I think I, I don't really need to get too much into that. Where is the offensive guru in Shermer? I think he had a bad game this week. But I also think he was pretty good in the opener. There was opportunities there to be made in the opener. Uh, I'm sure there was opportunities there to be made in week two, too. I haven't gone through the whole tape yet. I'll do that in the next couple of days. Look out on Twitter and stuff, and I'll, I'll give you a, a rundown or Instagram. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, too. I'm going to use that for uh, some breakdown stuff. So 
Uh, look, he's, this is a new scheme, new scheme for the players, a new team for Shermer. It's going to take some time. I think there's some reasons to be concerned early, but also not completely panic on that regard with Shermer and his offense. As for the offensive line, what has been done with them? What I think has been done over the span now of multiple regimes is there's been mistakes made on personnel evaluations. And that's the biggest problem. They don't have enough talent. And the early returns on a guy like Patrick Omame do not look very good. He's the starting right guard. Eric Flowers at right tackle. Does not look good. Uh, they're okay at center. They were okay at center with the, with the jalapeno. We're not, they're not, they don't have qua, uh, a Pro Bowl caliber guy there. Uh, Will Hernandez, he's a young guy. He's going to take time. He struggled with the sort of at times with the mental part of the game. Uh, so these are, this is what's going to happen early. So I think that, and obviously we know the drafting of Flowers set the organization back. Uh, Jeff Schwartz got injured when they signed him as a big free agent and nothing's really worked. All their personnel moves. I mean, you could put them in a list. They pretty much all failed the last four or five years. They have not worked out for whatever reason, multiple reasons. And that I think is the biggest problem right now. They're paying for those whiffs. And Gettleman's involved. This new regime is not completely scot-free of blame on this one. Unless Omame starts playing much better. Unless Nate Solder starts playing better. Even he needs to play better. You know, he's a serviceable, above-average, quality left tackle. But he needs to play better. So I think that is the biggest problem with the offensive line. And that's it for my favorite segment of the show, Giants After Dark. On to the next one. Let's get into Jordan on the beat. This is the part of the show where I give you a little rundown of what it's like to be a Giants beat writer and cover the team and go around the country and follow them around. A great job. A great job. But this was a first that I experienced on my way home. And if you follow me on Twitter, which I think most of you probably do at this point, although not everyone has Twitter, I shouldn't say that, because I'm, what, 30-something years old, and most of my friends, they're not big Twitter users, but... I think most of my followers do use Twitter. Anyway, you got a general gist of this story, but I'm going to give you the extended version because it's a pretty classic story. So I'm on the flight home. I'm getting, I get on the plane. We're flying home from Dallas and I'm in seat 26D. Now let me say, I'll start off by saying this, and this comes into play in this situation greatly. I am a big believer and I always need to book the ILC. You need the aisle seat. You need to have that flexibility. If you got to go to the bathroom three times, you got to have that flexibility. You want to be on the end. You want that extra room. You need that aisle seat. Like I, I do my best. Like unless I absolutely, absolutely have to, I get the I get an aisle seat. I don't care what row. Doesn't matter to me. Aisle. And this is why. This is one of the reasons coming up. So I get to so I start walking to 26D, and you see, you know, most of the planes filled, and I see. There's an empty seat a few rows ahead. There's a guy on the window seat. Huge guy. Gigantic guy. I mean, he's, he's, bare, he, he doesn't really fit into one seat. Okay. He's taking up at least a seat and a half. He needs the, he asked the, the flight attendant for one of the seat belt extensions. Okay. And a guy in the middle who's pretty big, who's probably about 6'2, 200 pounds ish, just completely scrunched in. 
looks just miserable beyond belief. You could tell because he's sitting next to the gigantic guy who's on the, got the window seat. And I'm like six rows from there, and I'm thinking, I'm looking, thinking to myself, oh God, I really don't want that to be my row, right? You because like the, the the middle guy was so scrunched around, I'm like that is a tight fit for three guys in that row. So of course I get there and I look like six times up top to make sure that 26 C is that seat. But of course that's my seat. So the guy in the middle, I'm not a huge guy. I'm a 5'11", 190 pounds. The guy in the middle though is just miserable, right? He can barely fit. He's like leaning towards me. He can't sit like comfortably. It's a disaster. Okay. So the, everyone's pretty much on the plane, but the door's not shut. He asked the flight attendant, he says, can I get off the plane? I'd rather just take the next flight. He would rather get on another flight and not sit there for the, what was it, about four-hour ride home from Dallas. He just didn't want to be that uncomfortable in that seat. And the doors fortunately weren't shut. He What a boss move, right? He got off the plane. Essentially because the guy next to him was too fat. I mean, let's talk, let's be real. That's the reality of the situation. He got off the plane and would rather go on a later different flight because the guy next to him was too fat and he needed to be more comfortable, which I think is a boss move in a way. I respect it because his discomfort in that situation for four hours, I mean, I would be just absolutely miserable in that spot as somebody who is a, Staunch believer in needing the aisle seat. The rare time that I do get stuck in the middle, if I got stuck in the middle and I couldn't even sit straight and I was scrunched with no elbow room, having to lean to my left the whole time, I'd rather take a different flight. So I was impressed. Truly a boss move by this guy. And he just got off the plane. He went off the plane and took a different flight because of his seat situation. And you know how they have those uh, floating uh, flight attendants? They could basically get on any flight. So then this real small, petite flight attendant ended up sitting between us, and it wasn't a problem. And everybody was fine. But that's definitely a first. I've never seen anybody get off a plane for the sheer purpose of not being comfortable in their seat. So that was the flight home from Dallas. Maybe more entertaining than the game, the actual situation and how it unfolded, than the actual game itself which was a true disappointment. And now this week, guess what? Going back to Texas. Going back to Texas, where this time I was told if I don't come back with cowgirl boots for my seven-year-old daughter, I'm in serious trouble. So I better, two trips to Texas in two weeks, if I don't come up with some cowgirl boots, it's going to be trouble on the home front. As far as the Giants, can they get their first win? Can they avoid 0-3 for a second year in a row? And third time in six years. And my answer to that is no. I don't understand how I can realistically sit here and pick the Giants to win this game considering what they've been on offense. And it's not like the Texans, we'll see if uh, Jadavian Clowney ends up playing, but it's not like the Texans have a weak front seven. I mean, they're going to give the Giants problems as well. I mean, that's not going to go away. Now, Deshaun Watson hasn't been great. I watched their game last week. The Texans actually weren't good. They lost to a Tennessee Titans team that started Blaine Gabbert. And Blaine Gabbert had like 50 yards passing in the first half. 
but they beat them on a trick play, and it, you know the the Titans. I mean, the Texans. Let me tell you, they weren't good, but they're going to win this game, in my opinion. Twenty-one to eighteen. Deshaun Watson makes just enough plays. The Giants' offense stumbles just enough, and Odell Beckham for all his greatness. And trust me, oh, they are going to pound the ball to him after the way the last game went. And he is going to make plays. I'll put his over-under at 125 yards receiving. Even for all his greatness, and Saquon Barkley breaking tackles left and right like he did the other day, the Giants are still going to fall short. Not good enough on offense. And then the panic mode has to really set in. And we're going to find out if they do fall to 0-3. The character of this team. Right now, they're preached togetherness. That's Pat Shermer's thing. He's been preaching, you know, we're trying to stick together. And uh, Odell's sitting there saying, look, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We have too much talent. Uh, We just have to stay patient. It's going to take time. And Eli's saying, look, it it doesn't happen overnight with a new offense, a new scheme, all these new players and everything. So, so far, they've, they've they've held steady. But... Oh, and three, the pressure really starting to build on him. Everything falling apart. That's, that would be when the true character of a team is tested. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this team responds this week against the Texans. And if they lose after that, moving forward. So, but I, I just have, I can't get myself at this point to pick the Giants. I haven't seen enough offensively, to be overly optimistic that they could put it together on a consistent basis, on the road, against a quality defense. Just what evidence is there that they can do that? Teams are scoring 30 points left and right. I didn't count how many teams did it this week. But seven teams did it in the opener, in the opening week. Seven teams scored over 30 points. Here, I'll count this week. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, eight teams did it in week two, 30 points. Seven teams did it in week one. The Giants haven't done it since 2015 when Tom Coughlin was the coach. So what is there for me to overly optimistic about this offense right now? Will it be better? Sure, by default, but not enough to beat the Houston Texans who are able to run the ball. Okay, Deshaun Watson uses his legs. Makes enough plays. They got some pretty good weapons. They'll do some damage against that Giants secondary. And it'll be just enough to eke out a 21-18 to victory. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Giants After Dark. I appreciate all of you for listening. Every single one of you. You could always reach me anytime. I try to respond to anyone with reasonable requests. Reasonable questions, especially if it's not on Twitter. My Twitter feed is an absolute disaster these days. So if you want to actually, if you really have a question that you want an answer for me, email me. Uh, Instagram, like message me. Uh, Facebook, whatever. But I'm available on all of these platforms and I'm there for you. And you can catch this podcast, iTunes, ESPN app, uh, any podcatcher for Android, Google, We're there almost everywhere. And give us good ratings. We appreciate it. It helps us out. It helps everything. And uh, thanks, everybody, for following along. I really do appreciate it. Even the ones who think I'm a tool, okay? 
I, I even like that you appreciate and like that you're following me. And I won't even block you, and I won't block any of these people who make these ridiculous comments, and there's surely plenty of them on Twitter, because I don't block anybody on Twitter. I could take whatever you got. Okay? And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. See you next time. <laughs>